Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 1 again. Matthew chapter 1. And I'll be reading our text. Start at verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. And now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we draw ourselves before Thee. We thank You for the privilege that we have to sit at Thy feet to hear Thy Word. I pray that our hearts and minds are attentive, Father, that we are yielded in Thy hands. Vessels meet for Your use, ready to be conformed into the image of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may we go forth spreading the good news that is the birth of the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we not forbear. May we not refrain from letting others know truly the joyous good news of why we celebrate Christmas, why we remember the birth of Jesus Christ. He was born to save, as we just sang. May we tell them about that salvation that is found in Christ. The best news that has ever been told through the world. May we take that message with us as we leave. Again, we do pray for that one that may be here lost. Draw them unto thee this morning. Well, thank you for what you will accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. As we consider that question from the hymn, What Child Is This? We come to our third part in this series. We'll conclude it next Sunday. But as we consider that question, we looked last week at the person of Jesus Christ when we looked at the name Emmanuel, God with us. We must ask ourselves a question. Why would God robe himself and walk this earth for some 30 years? His name by which most people know him is the focus of our message today. We now look to his work, which his name by which he has known the world over, Jesus, gives to us the nature of his work, salvation. We see that in verse 21, as the angel is talking to Joseph, uh, telling him about taking Mary, to not put her away privily. But he says, And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. What a joy to know that, is it not? As we stop and reflect on the Christianity that we possess, 
the fact that we've trusted Christ as our Savior, that we know the reality that, yes, He did save me. His finished work on the cross, that message coming to me, has brought great joy. For we know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that heaven is our home. We know that God is at work in our hearts. But we look at that, as we noted last week and the week prior, we're looking at the person, the work, and the office of Jesus Christ as we look through all of this, this in this series. And we see all of that wrapped up right here in this passage. We've seen his person, that he's God robed in human flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. We see that he's come to save. Jesus is his name, for he shall save his people from their sins. Jesus has come to save. I know that the gospel message is profound. But it is simple, is it not? Simple enough that a child can understand when they come of age. When they do understand that they are a sinner. That they have done things wrong and recognize that they've done things wrong against God. Even a child can understand this very simple yet profound message. Christ came to save. As he told the disciples and others that were standing there in Luke chapter 19 verse 10, he said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He did so with his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel The good news that he died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, as Paul would tell the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. That's the good news, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. Rose again for our justification, as Paul would tell the Romans in chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. He says, for all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus." He came to save us because we couldn't do it ourselves. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's, I think, the hardest thing for mankind to understand, that they're lost. I'm no search and rescue individual, but I've always heard, as people have talked about it, the search and rescue people try to teach people that they go out into the mountains When you're lost, acknowledge it, and then stay put. We can find you easier if you stay put. The hardest part of being lost is acknowledging it to ourselves that we're lost. I mean, men, be honest, do we like to admit when we're lost? I see the the smiles both on the, the wives and the husbands. No, we typically don't like to admit if we've missed it. We're lost. And that is one of the most dangerous things to do when we're out in the 
wilderness. I'm not lost. And you continue wandering. I'm not lost, and we continue wandering. There's been many a missed hiker because they never considered themselves lost. And it cost them their life. They tell us repeatedly, stay where you're at. We'll find you. Hunker down. Don't be wandering around. If you're wandering around, we can't find you. The first thing that needs to be noted is that, yes, I'm lost. I cannot come into God's presence by my own merits. I'm not good enough. Helping people to understand that they're a sinner, that they have sinned against God. It is the, ha- the hard aspect of salvation, yes. But once we get over that hump, once they understand that, yes, I've sinned against a holy God, we've got the good news aspect of the gospel. God's provided a means of taking care of that sin. Yes, we have sinned against God. We all have sinned, as we've already read. And we've come short of the glory of God. We've missed that mark. But thank God, he has the remedy. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us. And we who know him know that. And we know that every day of our lives. May we never forget that. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. For that salvation that came that moment we trusted Christ put us on a road to heaven where we see the completion, if you will, of that moment that we trusted Christ. When the mortal will put on immortality, when the corruptible will put on incorruption, when we will be able to stand in God's presence instead of having him residing in us as the earnest of our inheritance. We will be in our inheritance. And the salvation that started the moment we trusted Christ will be complete because we will be complete in him, in his presence. He keeps us safe. I am so glad as we read the scriptures, as we grow and realize that he didn't just save us and leave us. Here's your hell insurance policy. You're no longer going there. Here's your ticket to heaven. Go live your life. I'll meet you when you make the trip. No, he's with us. He takes care of us continuously. John chapter 10, verses 28 through 30, Christ has been speaking of giving the disciples the picture of being a shepherd to the sheep, the care that the shepherd has. But he notes, he says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. 
neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Now there are other verses that we could bring in as well, talking about how God takes care of us and we're safe, but what a joy to read those verses and stop to consider that Jesus Christ holds us, he pictures us in his hand. I'm taking care of you. I am protecting you. And nobody can take you away from me. And by the way, not only am I holding you in my hand, but God the Father is holding you in his hand. And nobody can take, him, take you away from there either. Now whether we want to you know, put a, a mental picture of we're in, God, in Christ's hands and then God's hands are around Christ's hands, that's fine too. We're in God's hands. And nobody can take us out of there. I am so thankful for that. I don't have to be concerned that someone would seek to make me unlost or unsaved to make me lost again. They can't. I'm in God's hands. My life is in his hands. When we stop to consider that and think that through, it becomes such a great comfort. No matter what happens in our lives, it's not taking God by surprise. Say, but it's taking me by surprise. Our life has always taken us by surprise, and it always will. And I am so glad that it does. I would not want to know everything that's going to happen in my life. And I think most of us would readily acknowledge, yeah, I don't want to know either. There's been, I mean, my short 60 years, there's been enough happened that I would not have wanted to know ahead of time that that was going to happen. There's enough of those incidences. I'm glad that they happened. God had his purpose and plan for it to unfold. And I'm thankful to discover it as it unfolds. Rather than knowing ahead of time. I, I think too much about things. And I start running different scenarios. Okay, this could happen this way. And I, 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 I mean, I've told the story of when we were first there in India and going off to some people that I've never met and wondering, you know, can I take care of things? And my mind was running wild. <laughs> it was like a locomotive that just couldn't stop. And God put the brakes on. So I know what I would be going through. I'd be a basket case by the time that event happened. And thankfully we're not, but we're in God's care. He's with us in those moments. He's not left us nor forsaken us. But he's right there meeting and comforting, strengthening and encouraging, because that's who our God is. He loves his children. And he takes care of us. He's come to save. He's come to save his people from their sins. He's come to save his people. Now, yes, we could look at that very specifically, which I believe there is the context to understand. 
talking about he is the Jews' redemption. Because he is. We'll see some of, not redemption, but we'll see some of that tonight as we look at the Messiah in our eschatology. But the Old Testament shares and declares to the Jews that their Messiah was coming who would take care of their sin problem. And now he's here. And we Gentiles certainly rejoice that that message of salvation was not meant exclusively for the Jews, but is also open to the Gentiles. I am so thankful for that. My dad did a DNA test here a while back, kind of compare it between him and a cousin. Um, and, uh, of course, my, my youngest sister as well. Um, there's no Jewish blood in dad. There's a little bit in Karen. So evidently there's, there's a, a Jew somewhere in mom's background somewhere. There's a couple Kleins uh, that are noted in her genealogy. They could be Jewish. It is a, a Jewish name. But uh, I, Dad, Dad and I were talking about that a couple days ago. And I asked him, because he had told me that that was coming. And I said, so, what did you find out? Did any Jewishness in you? Nope, not listed. I said, oh, nope, comes from mom's side. Any Jewishness that is there. But you know, thankfully, God brought that message to us as well. Jew or Gentile, bond or free. He's come to save his people. God is at work. And those who respond to the promptings, the the idea of salvation, what happens, there is some mystery to it. I don't fully understand it. We see the Heavenly Father prompting people. John chapter 6, verse 44, Christ declares, he says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Ten chapters later, in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11, we read, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. So we have the promptings of the Holy Spirit. We have the promptings of God the Father in the heart of a lost person to respond to the message, the word of God, that they are hearing. We see all three of the Trinity at work in salvation. 
Christ, the written word, if you will, his message of his redemptive work on the cross of Calvary is presented to us. And God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are the ones at work convincing and convicting us of the truth of the message. Say, how does that all work? I don't know, but I know that it does. I know what I experienced as I sat there as that junior high student in eastern North Carolina sitting on that second pew. The uncomfortableness, if you will, of hearing that I'm a sinner and my sin has condemned me to an eternity in hell by virtue of the fact that I've sinned against God and punishment comes. I'm so thankful that morning that I yielded and said, yes, Lord. I want this message. I want this offer of salvation. I need you. I need your forgiveness. We all have similar experiences, if you will, but often in different ways, but these things are still acting upon us the same way. We're all convicted and convinced of our sinfulness, the truthfulness of the message that we're hearing. And we become his children, the sheep of his pasture when he saves us. He brings us into his fold, cares for us as the shepherd does the sheep. And as we continue this moving forward, Jesus has come to save. He's come to save his people, and he's come to save his people from their sins. We almost realize that we're lost before we can be saved. We've already you know, touched on this. And that is the most glorious part of this, is to start to consider that, yes, I am lost. And yes, Christ came to save me. Here's out my way out of the predicament, if you will. I'm a man condemned to spend an eternity in hell. And God, in his great love and mercy, the very one we've sinned against, still loves us and sent his son to be our substitute, to take our place, our punishment, and accomplish that on the cross of Calvary. We see ourselves in that lost condition, much as Christ seeks to illustrate in the parable of the prodigal son. We know the story. We'll read it. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 17. We're into the story some. We know the story. There's really two prodigal sons in this story. We often look to the one we're looking at. But the son who stayed home is just as prodigal. He's representative of the Pharisees who were there at the beginning of the chapter wondering about things. We know the young son, once his inheritance, runs off and spends it away in riotous living. 
But we see in verse 17, And when he came to himself, when he understood his lost condition, when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's house have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and bring a ring, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. It's a picture of us. Lost away from God. And God convicting, yes. Convincing, yes. Coming to ourselves and realizing our lost condition. We are lost. But our Heavenly Father loves us. And has provided the means of restoration through his son, Jesus Christ. We see the prodigal son is the lost sinner. We see the realization of his condition. He had to go to his father. And he came to his father on his father's terms. He didn't come to him on his terms. And he received the forgiveness from his father. Did the father take him as a servant? No. He restored him as a son. Renewed fellowship. We have that through Jesus Christ. We had enmity with God in our sinful condition. And Christ removed that enmity. He took our sins upon himself on the cross. Isaiah chapter 53, we've read it. We'll come back to it probably several times because it so clearly lays out for us prophetically what the Messiah was going to do. Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is a powerful passage. Powerful enough that Jews don't like to read it. Because they see too clearly Jesus Christ. 
the message of us Christians who speak of Jesus Christ being their Messiah, that they don't read this. How tragic. Because he is their Messiah. They still long for him. He's already come. He came as the suffering Messiah, not the kingly Messiah. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. He came to save his people from their sins. Our sins have been dealt with in Jesus Christ. All our sins. He took upon himself. John will say it this way in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfying, satisfying, the satisfaction. He satisfied God's just demands that sin be punished. He is the satisfaction, the propitiation for our sins, believers. And not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. There are some that don't like this verse. That want to see the atonement, the sacrifice of Christ being limited. Well, it's not. And he makes it very clear here. He didn't die just for the sins of those who would respond to the gospel message. He died for all man's sins. Every man, woman, and child who has ever lived or who will live. It has to be that way. And he declares it very clearly here, whether you read it in the English or the Greek. It's, John is very emphatic here. I mean, he even adds, lets us know, it's the whole world. I mean, just to say the world would be enough, but he's making sure the whole world. That's everybody. The whole world. Jesus satisfied God's demands. And that's why we can be declared righteous. We have been given the victory over sin through Jesus Christ. Paul will tell the Romans this in Romans chapter 6. We'll kind of break into it in verse 11. But he says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Let it not be king. That word reign speaks of ruling, kingly rule. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, 
whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being made, from, made, being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. As we've noted, an exchange was made when we trusted Christ. Christ took our sins and in that place he gave us his righteousness. And in doing so, he broke the power of sin in our lives. It's still present, but the power of sin over us was broken. Have we reckoned that? Have we stopped to consider and acknowledge? Yes, that's been broken. I am no longer shackled to sin like I was as a lost person. I've been given a new life in Christ. And thank God one day we will be taken from the presence of sin. But in this life, its power has been broken through Christ. And we need not stay enslaved to it. Say, Pastor, are you preaching sinless perfection? Only in the next life. In this life, God gives us the power to sin less. Two words. We will be sinless, one word, when we're in his presence and have been given a new and perfect body. In the meantime, he has the power to help us live the life that he's imparted to us. It's his life. He came to save his people from their sin. May we rejoice in that this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus, Savior, the Hebrew Joshua, God's our Savior. He's our Deliverer. And He delivered us from our sin through His Son, Jesus Christ, who came as a child, robed in human flesh, lived that perfect sinless life, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, shed his blood for you and for me, rose again the third day, victorious over sin, death, and hell, able to declare us righteous because of what he accomplished on our behalf. What child is this? He's Emmanuel, God with us. What child is this? This is Jesus, who shall save us from our sins. What a joy. Next week, what child is this? He is Christ, the Anointed One. We'll find out about that next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. It is such a wondrous message, one that we never tire of. Father, as we come each year to Christmas, we just joy and rejoice. It's a festive time, and it should be.
For our Savior was born in Bethlehem. Thank you that you brought that message to each of us. And Father, we still rejoice to this day, though it's been many, many years since we first heard that news. Father, we still rejoice with that news. We're your children. We're the sheep of your pasture. You care for us. You take care of us. You didn't leave us orphans. You didn't leave us comfortless. We're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. God himself lives within. He's there to guide us, to help us, to teach us, to see the Christ life lived out. Thank you for that message. I thank you that that message came to me so many years ago. And I responded by faith. There's someone here this morning, Father, who has not. Whether they've grown up in this church or grown up in church all their lives, that doesn't make them a believer. It's a personal relationship through your son, Jesus Christ. There's someone here lost. May they see their lostness. And may they see that Christ died in their place, was their substitute. And may they by faith respond to that prompting, that convicting that's going on in their lives this morning. May we who know you, who have by faith believed, may we take that same message on our lips and share it with those around us. Telling the good news that the Savior was born in Bethlehem. He came for them. Father, we thank you and praise you for your goodness and mercy and grace upon us. Do a work as we consider the salvation that we have in Christ this morning. But Father, may we go forth joyous, rejoicing with that good news. In Christ's name I pray, amen.